Hello, Crittermanders, Starfinders, and podcast fans, and welcome to Cosmic Crit. My name is Patrick, and I am your Game Master, your Podcaster, and your Weebelows Level Scoutmaster, taking you all down the trails on another episode of our show. We're back with another special episode this week, episode X06, but this one is going to be a little different from our others. We're not playing Starfinder this week, but we have something that I've been meaning to do for some time, which is talk about the campaign so far, with all five of the players and myself. Do a recap of the story and and what has happened, and we solicited questions from our Starfinder Discord channel, and we're going to try and answer them tonight as well. It's important to take a look back at the past 37 episodes and reflect, and next week we'll be back with the start of Book 4, Ruined Clouds, and you will not want to miss that. So that's later on in this episode, but first, we are lucky enough on this special episode to have a very special guest interview. We stole some time the week before PaizoCon to chat with Starfinder managing developer Amanda Hammond Coons. Amanda is the author of Book 3, Splintered Worlds, and as we always love to do, we're having a post-mortem right after finishing the book, and we're talking uh, with the writer about their work and, and what it was like making this up. So I just want to thank Amanda again for taking the time to chat with us during one of the busiest times of the year for Paizo folks, and say thank you very much. So that is this episode. Make sure not to listen if you are not caught up with the podcast, as there are spoilers that will abound here. But also, don't skip this one if you are a true fan of the show. We get into the the player character's creation, my game mastering styles, and a lot of other facts about the mysterious backstories on our game. So, without further ado, let's get to the interview. This is special episode X06, entitled Cowboy Cowboy Recap. Episode commencing in 3, 2, 1. Episode initiated. Welcome, everyone. This is your GM, Patrick, and I am joined here tonight by Drew. Say hello, Drew. Hello, Drew. And Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. And uh, welcome to this week's very special episode of Cosmic Crit, as is tradition. Now that we are fully done with book three of the Dead Sun's Adventure Path, we're going to take a look back at the story, the fights, the action, try and break everything down, break it all down. So joining us on this very special episode is certainly the most appropriate guest we could have interviewed for this endeavor. She is now the managing developer for Starfinder at Paizo and is the author of book three, uh, Splintered Worlds, uh, Amanda Heyman Coons. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks, Patrick. I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you for, for taking the time. We had some time to do our, our background checks on you and and find out all of your your secret history working at Paizo before we we got on here tonight. Can you tell us a little bit about your history with with the company before we we jump into things? Uh, Sure. So uh, I started out uh, my career with Paizo and um, in some respects, my career in the freelance industry uh, as a freelancer, freelance Mm -hmm. author for Paizo. Um, I started uh, after I met uh, Wes Schneider at Gen Con in 2011. Mm. Uh, I worked with him to uh, sort of develop some uh, brainstorms of creatures for the Skull and Shackles Adventure Path. uh, If you guys remember back to that. Oh, yeah. It is one of my favorites. 
one of my favorite APs, I think, in the whole of Pathfinder. Yeah, it was, it was a really fun, very thematic, uh, you know, piratey adventure. Um, and, you know, pirates are still, of course, very popular in pop culture. But uh, back then, I, I feel like uh, it was kind of at the height. And so we we're cresting mm-hmm. into that. And I had a lot of cool, exciting ideas uh, for monsters. And Wes was, uh, Wes was kind enough to, to listen to me and um, uh, see some... Um, see some potential in some of my ideas. And so uh, brought me on board writing monsters for that adventure path. And uh, I continued to do a, a pretty wide variety of assignments for Paizo and for other third party um, uh, publishers uh, during that time period. Uh, I think my first things were, were technically published in 2012, mm-hmm. um, but I worked a lot with Cobalt Press uh, and, you know, uh, more assignments for Paizo as well. Um, I uh, applied for a, uh, assistant developer position that was posted and ended up being hired um, on board uh, here uh, in Seattle or right outside Seattle in Redmond um, for that position in 2015. And since then, I've gone from assistant developer to developer to development coordinator to now managing developer uh, at Paizo. And uh, (laughs) yeah, I was on the original design team for the Starfinder core rulebook. And so in in less than seven years. Yes. So freelance assistant developer, developer. And I I missed the middle one there. But coordinator. Yeah. And you're now currently the Starfinding Managing Developer. Uh, what yes. exactly um, are you doing right now? You can't say, I imagine, all the things that you're working on for the the future of Starfinder. But yeah, what what's what's the day to day like as opposed to just being a, a Starfinder developer? So as a managing developer for Starfinder, I um, manage the schedule of the development work that the rest of the development team works on. Uh, and those fine folks are, as you probably know, uh, Owen Casey Stevens as our rules lead. Um, uh, Joe Pacini is a Starfinder developer. Jason Keeley is our Adventure Path developer. And Chris Sims uh, is working on matter for the adventure path and those two uh, mm-hmm. will will flip-flop roles um, moving forward uh, as is customary for adventure path developers um, and I'm also working very closely with Rob McCreary who is the creative director for Starfinder um, so I work in a management capacity uh, to direct those folks uh, in the the work duties and the logistics of how the books get made uh, and I am also doing uh, development work um, on the ground as well as uh, you know like structural outlining and uh, creative um, creative work Work and, and creative vision mm-hmm. uh, so very a lot of big picture stuff as well as you know uh, the scheduling of everything you've got you've got your hands and sounds like just about everything as far as starfinder goes yes that's an accurate assessment <laughs> and we we unfortunately can't even touch upon it because that would be i we're gonna have to have you back for an entire other interview about pathfinder second edition which you're you're also uh, a lead developer on how? How do you have the time for this? <laughs> Carved out um, once we figured out what the schedule for uh, for that second edition um, mm-hmm. design and development period was going to look like. Uh, Eric Monar, publisher, was clear that he really wanted Adam Daigle and myself to be the the two lead uh, developers um, as as folks with uh, deep knowledge of the Pathfinder system and also. Uh, some rules design and, and core design experience, um, mm-hmm. you know, in various vectors, of course, Starfinder for myself. Um, Adam, you know, has been an adventure path developer for a long time on Pathfinder. Um, and we were both uh, managing developers, um, or at least we both would become managing developers during that time period. Uh, so uh, there was a period of uh, a couple of months in which he and I uh, worked as a team, passing things back and forth. Uh, this was before I was technically promoted uh, to managing developer for Starfinder, so I was not uh, fully full time on the Starfinder team. Um, and you know, 
feel like that there was sort of a master plan in place for, you know, once that ended, uh, moving me back over to Starfinder as mentioned, mm-hmm. over, and that's what ended up happening. I mean, it's so hard to believe because there's such huge projects. I, I can't even wrap my head around, uh, you know, switching Definitely back and forth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, do you mind, though, if we, we focus on Starfinder and in, in particular Splintered Worlds for a bit? Uh, yes, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let's let's talk about Splintered Worlds. Uh, I, I'm the GM for, for our podcast here, and both Drew and Rebecca are, are a couple of the players. We've just finished it. I'm sure we, we all have a lot of questions about, you know, the writing process, the some of the characters. One thing that you've got in your Paizo biography on uh, on paizo.com is that your writing and GMing and design philosophy is the weirder the better uh, <laughs> yeah do you think do you think you lived up to to that with with book three? Uh, you know, I think the answer to that is probably yes. Um, I was one of the reasons I was so excited to to work on Starfinder and specifically to write an adventure for Starfinder is that there are just so many options um, for storytelling in a science fantasy world that just uh, really aren't accessible in um, Pathfinder in a traditional fantasy world. And so I was really excited to um, specifically go to Eox and uh, be able to sketch out uh, a little bit about daily life and the different types of characters that exist in Orphis and specifically uh, in sort of the downtrodden uh, district um, that you uh, end up spending the most time in in Splintered Worlds and, you know, what uh, sort of disillusionment um, happens when you have these undead creatures that are essentially immortal and um, maybe have discovered that immortality is not everything that has been promised to them (laughs) um, and that they, yeah, that they have made plans, um, you know, to uh, have this glorious eternal life um, that uh, in some ways uh, is not what they bargained for or, uh, you know, was sort of, they were so, sort of sold a bill of goods um, and taken advantage of in some cases. And so I was answering a lot of questions that I found interesting about those sort of things. Mm-hmm. That, that makes the... Uh, yeah, a lot of those characters are weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, what is the character that you meet in the, the lobby of the... Uh, <laughs> of the uh, Ministry of Eternal Vigilance, which is a fantastic... Uh-huh name by the way the eoxian names for things are shan golding yeah shan golding yeah Uh, (laughs) because if i remember correctly and and you'll have to 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 forgive me we're not allowed to read the ap's uh because why would you be spoilers and things like that (laughs) so uh forgive me if i if i get some details uh incorrect but uh he was a human that was waiting to be made into uh an undead uh eoxian yeah, thing. and that is, <laughs> and that's just a whole other interesting facet of Eox that you that I hadn't even thought about. That he's living this mundane kind of life, waiting to be made an undead immortal being to then go back and live in an apartment <laughs> in a place. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I sort of uh, was um, thinking a lot uh, philosophically about, you know, the different ways that uh, immortality might be achievable by, uh, you know, not necessarily very wealthy characters, but by characters who, um, you know, are sort of uh, scrappy and uh, and looking to make whatever deal they can. And uh, one of the answers to that questions uh, ended up becoming Shan, which was a, a character who has traded kind of indentured servitude for the promise of eventual uh, 
eternal life and, you know, kind of the ramifications of what um, that decision actually means once you uh, get into the nitty gritty of, of doing that. And so he is one side of that coin and uh, Juanita Trucks, the um, ghoul bureaucrat that you meet uh, and who is sort of your main point of contact, is the other side of that. Somebody who's kind of, uh, you know, uh, quickly done it uh, and it might not be everything that it's uh, that she hoped it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I like dipping in on characters at different points in that I got the impression that my favorite NPC, uh, uh the gentle sage Jonesworth was a long time dead character and just, you know, enjoying basically retirement uh, for, for centuries. Um, yep. And it, it is, uh, has it has a good time sort of looking down upon uh, what he considers, you know, the lesser living beings that uh, might filter their way through uh, that district yeah. there. Well, how weird would it be if you were like 400 years old and there are all these people just dying around you and they don't have to anymore. You're just like, oh, what is wrong with these these living folk? <laughs> I, I got him. I got into his mind. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is definitely uh, sort of a jerk, but also I think just unintentionally um, to himself, kind of just funny from an outside perspective because of just the way he dresses and he's got you know, that oh, vestigial yeah. head with the with the top hat and uh, is is meant to be sort of darkly comical, which is kind of a theme throughout that whole uh, section <laughs> and, and the portrayal of the splice uh, there in Orphis. Well, I, at first I was very angry that he did not get art in the book, but now I'm happy because I think people's mental image of what he would look like is just, you know, much more, uh, much more imaginative than, you know, any one single graphic could convey the top hat. And I, I said that there was a top hat on the, the little vestigial head as well. So. There, there were definitely a few characters in that book where it's like, you know, I'm going to really go gonzo with this. Um, I'm really <laughs> going to go for like a weird undead sort of version of Total Recall. Um, so to speak, that was kind of what was inspiring some of, of those things. And I, I figured, you know, Rob, who, you know, was working on these adventures, he's never going to let any of this, a lot of this stuff go through. He's going to tone some of this stuff back. And, and luckily he didn't. Um, so I, <laughs> I was really glad to see, you know, some of the really weird stuff, uh, you know, still make it through development. It reminds me a little of Halloween Town from uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Just everybody's kind of a like, oh, that guy's a vampire. That guy's a, a creepy headless thing. And uh, but they're all just going about their daily lives. You know, this guy's a tailor. This guy works at a in a factory. You know. Well, and I think it's interesting to to take a look at the undead experience, if you will, because even though I mean. None of them have empathy, you know, like even though we're right. we're looking at it from a different perspective, they're still undead, you know, and they're still sort of monsters on some level. And um, yeah, so it's it's an interesting yeah. sort of dichotomy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, most of them are pretty much all of them. Uh, the named NPCs anyway are not nice people, but they're complicated people. And um, they really ask a lot of uh, uh, questions that the Starfinder system allows and that, you know, not all undead are uh, naturally uh, intrinsically evil. Um, some of them are, are complicated and, you know, their their path to undeath is complicated. And so uh, it's just a lot more interesting to sort of, uh, you know, ask those questions and explore that stuff in the adventure. And actually, that's pretty relatable. I mean, even as humans, we're not inherently good or inherently evil. I mean, like there's a little bit of that in, in every character if, if they're well thought out. So 
<laughs> I'm inherently yeah. chaotic neutral. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we talked a little bit about some of our favorite NPCs and this book is definitely full of them. Uh, let's talk about monsters real quick. You guys gotten some, some pretty big uh, scraps in this book. Uh, I'm interested to hear like your favorite monsters and uh, Amanda yours as well. Uh, do, do you want to start? Do you have a favorite uh, baddie in this book? So uh, in a lot of ways, this, this book, uh, allowed me to draw inspiration from some of the stuff that I'm just like personally really uh, passionate about on kind of a nerdy basis. And mm-hmm. what, and so I mentioned, you know, Total Recall being one of the uh, the influences to just the aesthetic of the splice and, and of Orphis, um, yeah. but also also the, the Dead Space video game series, if you guys are familiar with those. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, we're super, I, I love that series. I really love horror in general and I love space horror simply because uh, <laughs> there are so many genre possibilities and it's not quite so such a permeating element of pop culture the way a lot of other horror genres are. Um, but, you know, the, the first part of the book uh, with the abandoned cult of space is uh, certainly inspired by uh, Dead Space and the Ishimura and, mm. um, you know, just uh, the horror element of not knowing what is around the next corner. Um, also, the Marrow Blight monster is um, pretty directly inspired by uh, some of the ne- necrograph um, or necromorph, excuse me. Now um, that you say it, yeah, it's hard not to yeah. see it. <laughs> Yeah, I was writing the I was writing suggestions for the art order for that, and uh, you know gave a, a description of of what it ended up looking like, and said, you know, please make sure that this is not a direct analog because it's not the same creature; it's just inspired by this creature. Exactly. Uh, see, I'm I'm uh, what uh, you would uh, call uh, a chicken, so I I have not played the Dead Space games, and now I'm not sure that they're I scary. want to. <laughs> yeah, they're super scary, especially the first one. The first one, first one, and the second one are my favorites. So I, I haven't played them either but i can say that i think you were successful with that first area where you go the rock or whatever um it was very disconcerting we were all like aimlessly walking around and like looking around every corner like what was gonna come yeah. and um shoot us. yeah I, i'm a big fan of the scree sire uh, in in the in the ap just the the idea of a giant tentacled mind control thing that you may not ever see coming uh, and <laughs> we were we were told it could blend into the background, and we started looking at at the map and seeing, you know, this map looks kind of like a claw in this part. Like, no, it's not that. It's not that. We had a whole big argument about that that we cut out of the episode. Uh, <laughs> and uh, out that it's hiding in the acid pool. <laughs> yes, which Patrick Patrick is is a as a GM a big fan of acid pools, because uh, I believe there are a couple of them that make it into this AP. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, me, they're, they're, me too. Me too. They're in the story, uh, but now there's going to be an acid pool like every other episode of the show. So <laughs> he did. I've got the rules for him, so got to use them. He did manage to dunk one of us into the acid pool, but luckily it was the one of us who could survive it the best. So jokes <laughs> on you, GM. We got gotcha. you. So yeah, I mean, definitely my favorite moment from this book was that in that Screesire fight when I knew for a fact whoever is getting closest to that pool is. I'm going after them. I'm telling them it's like if I succeed in this um, reposition attack move, you're going in the pool. And I rolled the dice, and it came up a one. And all the players were like, "Yay!" And then on the next turn, uh, another player ran up to the pool, and I did the exact same thing and rolled a natural twenty. And <laughs> it's the most cathartic experience I think I've had in, in gaming in some time. It was a really exciting uh, fight. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad to hear. Yeah, I've run mm-hmm. that. Um, 
encounter a, like a, an abbreviated version of that encounter yeah. a few times at conventions and i always try to pull somebody into that pool just because how, it's fun how are you not going to yeah <laughs> awesome well i mean at this point it's it's been out for for a few months and i'm i'm sure you've heard from people like us that have played it and are really excited uh, uh just finishing it do you do you get a lot of that feedback do you, do you listen to to players out there um that say oh i just got done with it what do you get back from them? Do, do they give you suggestions? Do you do they tell you like their favorite part of the book? Definitely kind of a mix. Um, in person, uh, it's usually people who um, are excited to talk about their favorite part or the most exciting part or uh, mm-hmm. questions about a couple of the specific NPCs. Um, you know, people like to ask uh, whether their vision of the way a character talks is what I thought would be a good idea or, <laughs> or, uh, or if it's, you know, a character in a movie that they're um, reminded of by the, by the character wanting to know whether that was an inspiration or whether that's something that I think makes sense. Um, so those are really fun conversations. They want to find yeah. your Easter eggs that you laid out. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, there are a lot of, you know, pretty, pretty large, you know, influences certainly. Um, it is, you know, of course all, all, uh, all unique and everything, but there are certainly influences behind it. So I have, I have a, a good time talking about a lot of that stuff well well, before we let you go here tonight can i ask did you have voices in mind for your npcs in book three and did you have one specifically in mind for winita trucks i have a specific character in mind for winita trucks um other than Mm. the fact that i really wanted her or felt like that she would probably sound like uh an elderly person with a very thick smoker's voice (laughs) yes so i kind of yeah i I sort of always envisioned her being like you know a bunch of garbage she's complaining about stuff (laughs) that the the pcs are doing or you know just being stuck with this bureaucrat a lot in her life um somebody on one of the boards uh asked me or just in general asked uh, whether uh, Roz from Monsters Inc. would be a good voice. For yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that is uh, so that is uh, how Patrick modeled his voice for Juanita Trucks, and that is how we know well, at least two other uh, two other GMs modeled their voice. That's, that's where I started, and I definitely tried not to do a a one to one impression. <laughs> it, it definitely keeps sneaking back. It's hard not to. <laughs> and I don't want any paperwork on this. <laughs> exactly and it's hilarious because I, I totally was not thinking about that when i wrote her but then the minute that somebody on the boards mentioned that it's like oh you know what that makes so much sense that's a great idea oh boy uh well we're excited to have uh completed it we're halfway through with the dead sons and we're really thankful that you're able to come on the show and and talk to us like as soon as we got done we we emailed you and we're like oh we want to talk about it now uh Thank you so much, Amanda, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. And we we will touch base again soon, I'm sure, as we, we get more announcements of, of things coming in, in Starfinder's future. Tell, tell us when you can reveal all the secrets about year two and three of uh, Starfinder's uh, release schedule. I've definitely stopped recording, so we can totally just talk about anything. And you can trust us. We won't reveal any information. Definitely. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> oh, I always forget to ask this question. Where's Galerion? Say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where can you put it? I've actually said that. Um, that is probably one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest mysteries of the setting. In the same way that uh, what happened to Aridin is the the cornerstone mystery of uh, the Pathfinder campaign oh, setting. What happened to Galerion is our version of that. Oh, we know, but we know that you know, and we want 
to know what you know. <laughs> uh, uh, well, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much, Drew and Brecca. Thanks for jumping on here with me. And thank you for Amanda for being here. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. It was lovely to talk to you guys. And, you know, um, I, I appreciate you inviting me and I'd be happy to, to come back and actually do, you know, like the full time that you had planned. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, until so, then, how, how's your Tuesday? until then thanks uh and thank you everyone for listening and we'll be right back crit bit commencing in three two one crit bit initiated hey everyone we are back with an all new crit bit one that we have wanted to do for a long time and we thought at the halfway point in our campaign that this would be the perfect time to do it this is patrick your gm on this here old podcast and I am joined by all five members of the cast, your players and my friends, the Cosmic Crit Stars. To my left, we've got a Gundam Nut and a Punishment Glut, Drew, who plays Nack Feldspar, nay Sizrak, on the show. Hey, everybody. To his left, a Brainy Chemist with a penchant for killing some karaoke, Jabert, who plays Andis147. Greetings, Patrick. Greetings. Across the digital table from me, we've got a horror fan that thinks he's Batman's ward. It's Miles, and he plays Raimi. Good evening. To his left, the breakout star of the podcast, Buffy enthusiast, and happy belated Mother's Day, Rebecca, who plays Alindra Vallis. Thank you. Hello. And finally, to my right, brew buddy, gamer, and our West Coast enthusiast, we have Tyler, who plays Adros. As always, wonderful to be here. Hey, yeah, and we're, we're we're not playing, but we're all hanging out together for for the first time and maybe forever. Um, how how are you guys doing? This will this will be Alindra's least favorite episode. Or <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, like, when are we playing Starfinder? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I am not roll, uh, logged into Roll Twenty right now, and there will be no surprise rolls. Or will there? <laughs> no, there's not going to be a surprise roll. It's like, everyone make a fortitude save. Ah. What? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. We're, fortitude we're gonna, save to stay awake. That's right. I've, I've poisoned all of your drinks. <laughs> glug, glug. Oh, no. Uh, we are taking a breather this week. And uh, besides that, we're going to get a chance to talk with the amazingly talented and delightful Amanda Heyman Coons. Um, but we thought since we're, like I said, we're at the exact halfway point through the Dead Sons adventure path that we would take an episode to reflect on the podcast as a whole, uh, you know, the story so far. And yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about story so far. Answer some questions from the Crittermanders, our fan discord channel. And yeah, then just generally talk about the, the podcast and at the halfway point of episode 37. So first... Let's talk about where we are in the story so far. And I figured we could do that with a little wrap up, like a, a cool retelling of, of what has happened in our campaign so far. So let's let's get some music in here going and go through uh, Incident at Absalom Station first. So we started off and you all arrived at Absalom Station, assembled in the HUD bar, and took a job from the Starfinders. We had our first real episode where we met the Downside Kings and the Level 21 crew and the Hard Scrabble Collective and the Dockside Kings and the Level 21 Scramblers and the Hard Scrabble Connection and other names we continue to get wrong to this day. After said meeting where all parties ended up dead, we decided to go and talk to the Starfinders about our findings and we were attacked by a trio of uh, philosopher goblins 
So we finally made it to the Starfinder headquarters where we met our good friend, Chexmix. We went to meet with Jabaxa, the Soki leader of the level 21 crew to try to figure out what their beef with the Downside Kings was. Then the crew headed down to the Fusion Queen. There was some dancing and awkward conversation with a coat check girl. Stealing into the back room, they fought some gang members and took on Fernani Nadaz, the leader of the Downside Kings. After the battle, we officially became Starfinders. And I think Anderson Raimi stole that bar. We did. And then we went to meet our new best friend, Gavilars Knorr, who uh, turned out to be a really great guy and didn't even once leave us trapped on a rock. Sorry. <laughs> we then visited the Astral Extraction headquarters, where Andis found a disturbing image coming up from his past. Then we boarded our own spaceship and did our first space combat, which went swimmingly. We boarded the Acreon and Adras got bitten by an Akata. We also found a haunting captain's log. Surprise, the group finds more Akata, but this time, Andis falls prey to their bite. Taking a rest from their wounds, the crew tried to recover from the Akata's deadly diseased bite and made a few new friends in the form of two goblins. We took our first steps onto the Drift Rock and met a foe that we turned into a friend. It also featured one of our best crit pits about Andis's backstory. The crew with Clara247 continues to explore the Drift Rock, defeating the representative from Astral Extractions. We then entered a mysterious cave in the Drift Rock, encountering various monsters. We fought drift-dead zombies through corridors inside the rock and found an ancient magical computer. The crew then uncovered the Sunrise Maiden, hopped on it, was attacked by a monster part two, and sailed away. Thinking it would be an easy journey back to Absalom, they were attacked by a corpse fleet vessel, but handily defeating it, they made it back to the station, settled up with Chex Mix, and received their payment and their next mission to investigate on Castravel some mysterious writings that they gleaned from the alien supercomputer on the Drift Rock. We headed to the University of Cabaret on Castravel to look for clues, but we met a big dumb brain and had to do him a favor. Stupid brain. The one professor who could help us in our quest, Dr. Solstarni, turns out had gone missing. We then followed our lead to Solstarni into the jungles of Yukalam on Castrovel, which we found very inhospitable, fighting extreme heat, terrifying fauna, and even vicious flora. We were stalked through the jungle by a Kasarik and found Valkali, and then prevented Adras from killing her. Then we had to fight a Rincrota, then we fought a Skyfisher, then we had to deal with a Sniper, and she went out with a bang. Continuing on after finding the massive statue in the jungle, they made their way through a haunted ancient city and up a mountain to where the Temple of the Twelve laid and were attacked by a giant mountain eel. After Alindra and Adras had a heart-to-heart about battle strategies, she murdered an elf and stole his clothes. After our laborious trek through the jungle, we finally catch up with our arch-nemesis Tahoman, and we lay waste on him, but not before figuring out some deep, dark secrets about the temple. Returning to civilization, Andis and Alindra went to a party at the university. While crushed by Rokawi's death, Edros goes to the Church of Serenray. Mercenaries came after Raimi, and we almost died in the streets of Castrovel. The crew leaves Castrovel and ends up running into one of Edros's old friends, piloting the rusty rivet. They reunite and swap information, 
and then the team heads to K2904 in the Diaspora to continue the search for the Cult of the Devourer. On K9204, the team finds bodies, a lot of dust, and a massive aberration called a Scree Sire that gives Edros a little bit of a, a scale-cleaning bath. On K2409, we entered the cultist base, the Star Eater Spine, and learned what happens when Nak gets dumb. Niara knows. Niara knows. Niara knows. From K9204, we discover that the Eoxian rebel militia, the corpse fleet, has been here already. So off to Eox we go, and on the way are beset by none other than the corpse fleet. As we approach Eox, we are contacted by a, a game show host named Zoe, who invites us to fight an unknown monster, which turns out to be the Liquid Carbon Golem. After besting the monster, we got to use a mnemonic editor called a new you. And we also found out the Nax actually a Feldspar. The crew heads to the Ministry of Eternal Vigilance to meet up with their information broker, Juanita Trucks, and then follow some clues that lead to a marrow blight. But we end up fighting a giant Elikoth first. And finally, making their way back from the marrow blights, Hermitage, they were assaulted by none other than Zira Vesh. Raimi's erstwhile evil overlord and the big big bad of book three and that catches us up where we are right now and a lot has happened 37 episodes and in three books yeah it's pretty crazy yeah a lot of stuff happened so if you're a fan of the show, you probably are like, wow, they skipped a lot of stuff. That's because <laughs> we, 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 in a couple of minutes, tried to encapsulate probably 40 to 60 hours, somewhere in there. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot of, a lot of gameplay lot. time. What do you guys think going back through all the episodes? I can't believe we're alive. Yeah, we've been <laughs> through some stuff. Tyler, I dropped you in acid. You dropped me in acid. In a vat of acid. We, we had to fight these void puppies. And we, there's just, I, I, I can't believe how lucky we got, it, like looking back on it, how lucky we were in certain situations, like uh, the Fusion mm. Queen, when you dropped the grenade through the door and just blew up Edros mm. or, and like somebody else. Uh, there's just a lot of times where I thought that we were going to die. And, level one uh, is very dangerous. Level one, yeah. level mm-hmm. two. Well, uh, apparently, like, level four is pretty dangerous, too, because, like, Tahoman was no joke, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, was, that was a hard fight, and uh, I, I think all the bookend fights have been been pretty pretty hard. Although, I don't know, book book one was just hard from, like, start to finish. It's yeah, like every, yeah. every we, part of that was We hard. were not prepared for Akatas at all, and uh, honestly, I feel way. like we, we've had some, like, ta- the Tahoman fight was the first one where we had somebody... Uh, go down and mm-hmm. had to stabilize with RP, right? And uh, technically, mm-hmm. no, but it, 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 I mean, the first time in like a major fight, we, ha- we had Tyler go down at Dross's in the mountain eel fight. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's I forgot right. about that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I would, I would still say there were some pretty dangerous situations before that. That that whole thing between between the mountain eel fight, the Tahuman fight, and the uh, <laughs> the uh, Kasathan mercenaries on the side of the road fight, which were all in about this, the block of four episodes, were some of the most difficult fights that we have had. The most the most mm-hmm. like dangerous, terrifying. Oh my gosh, somebody's actually going to die in this fight right now. Yeah, it's kind of ironic that Castrovel, the like pretty 
like very well <laughs> yeah, it's, taken it's care ironic, of planet. It's ironic that like Jurassic Park is the most dangerous. <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah. it makes sense. I mean, the jungle, yeah, Mo- but most Cameron of the continents are, are pretty. Oh, that is true. That that was added in though, of course, by by your GM that wanted to. Uh, I, I didn't find that dangerous. Up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, ah, you didn't get hit. Oh, so much fun. Um, right, thirty-seven episodes. Uh, I don't think we have thirty-seven left in the campaign because we added so much stuff in the the first half. So 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 much, so many episodes of, of character development. But we we definitely do have three more books, and uh, I'm very excited. We're we're just digging into book four as we record this, so I, I can't wait to see where it goes. What one of the things I've liked about the first three is you know. In the beginning, it, it's just the progression of us learning about the Stellar Degenerator and then having all these other factions learn about it. And then mm-hmm. now we've started the race. So, you know, because like, it's just cool in an adventure that, you know, you're, we're not the only ones who know about this super powerful thing and we got to go take care of it. It's it's going to be a mad dash and there are it's a it's a big deal and there are a lot of players involved. And it's been cool to see all those players show up and have their own spotlight. Oh, yeah. Right. So do you guys want to move on and... and- Take some questions from our listeners, from our, our Crittermander fan base. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Right. So we we solicited some questions for, for me, for you guys as players, for all of us together. And we'll just go through them all and uh, we'll give a quick shout out if we took your question. Let's... Let's start, uh, Rebecca. Sure. So this question from comes from Cosmic11 on Discord. Mm, great name. And they ask, this one is for the entire crew. What were the inspirations for the characters they made and their backstories? Well, I was about to say all my characters are in in the AP for the most part. So <laughs> pretty yeah, easy. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Rebecca should start with this one. All right, so I can start. Um, and I have a little bit more to say about this later. But um, when I first started thinking about Alendra and what I wanted to do, I, I knew I wanted to make a Solarian. And the first thing I thought was Buffy. So um, <laughs> it's kind of funny that that was mentioned in my intro today. <laughs> it's um, like I know you guys better than you know yourselves. <laughs> yeah, I think in my original outline of what I wanted my character to be like I, I drew upon Buffy as as a, a source of insp- inspiration for a very variety of reasons as someone who is sort of normal or trying to be normal thrown into this uh, very extraordinary situation with extraordinary powers and and dealing with that um, I thought that was a really mm-hmm. uh, interesting dynamic so yeah I was really inspired by the idea of the renewal with the androids and sort of the in the core rulebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a really interesting thing. And as soon as I read that, I sort of knew that I wanted to play an Android and sort of out of that came this idea that I knew that I wanted, wanted to explore things, uh, related to the Android's, um, past lives. Um, and out of that sort of came when I, when I read about the exocortex feature for the mechanic, it, that seemed like a really great fit. And so... Mm-hmm. That sort of and it sort of came together in that sort of way. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna like. I'm not gonna be like. I'm Data. 
but <laughs> you know, but, but, but I, I think there's a robot brain, right? Yeah, I mean, there there are similarities with with many sort of like representations of androids in a lot of science fiction. I think you're, you're going to make a, an android. You're going to have a little bit of data in there. You can't. You get, uh, you, you're going to you get a little bit a few of, eggs. You're going to be a little data, a little bit bishop, but you know, <laughs> you try to shoot down the middle. Coolest. Anybody else? Any other inspirations for your characters' yeah. backstories? I I was kind of simultaneously inspired by the idea that like if you go to any major city and this is going to be a little gross i guess but every major city is full of rats in every wall there's always hundreds and hundreds of rats everywhere all over cities and i liked the idea of that being part of a secret cabal of like intelligence gathering and assassin and thieving rats that uh, all worked together and uh I also like the idea of being an Ahsoki that wasn't a mechanic or a soldier, because I feel like those are the two things that when you look at what what other folks were doing for, for Ahsoki, because mm. they're, they're naturally you know, mechanically minded and, 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 and the stuff like that to do kind of what I perceived at the time to be the opposite of what uh, other folks were doing and making making a rat man be like the face of a group. Like the one oh, yeah. doing all the talking and, and but with yeah, all this think, other information to back it up. I, I think you probably achieved that because, you know, honestly, I haven't seen that many other Ahsoki envoys out there besides the old knack, Sistrak slash Phil Spar. What about what about you, Miles? So with with Raimi, it was because I wasn't really thinking so much about what I wanted to play, but kind of who I wanted to play. Like I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of design my character first before really thinking, because I wasn't familiar with, you know, Pathfinder that much or Starfinder, even though we played the, the homebrew game. So I wanted to get myself comfortable in the character first. And I kind of wanted to combine elements. Uh, I think when I first like made the sketch of the character, I said, I, I kind of wanted a, Batman meets cyberpunk Aladdin. <laughs> so, so oddly specific in general at the same time. I love it. And uh, so I, I kind of wanted him to have, you know, the wealthy parents, but I didn't want it to have the, the you know, the typical, um, you know, his parents were killed. Tragic but, backstory. But yeah, maybe so he, he was the focus of his tragic backstory. I, that, that's something I want to point out in it is kind of a trope in a lot of RPG character backstories is to have like, you know, oh, my wife and kids were killed. Now I have to go avenge them. Uh, you know, sad backstory. Nobody here really had a super sad one, you know, just kind of like complicated, which I, I found as a GM was was really quite uh, refreshing. I mean, you could argue elements of his <laughs> was kind of sad. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, sad, but not. Uh, I, I'm talking like uh, full on edible Greek tragedy. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I, I wanted to avoid the the Batman. Uh, you know, yeah. trope, basically. But I, I wanted him to have an element of, of fun that he's a more a lithe character, and that's kind of where where I started with him. I wanted because- to say that that was purposeful on my part. Um, I mm-hmm. wanted to avoid having dead parents because in our previous game, I, my character was only out for revenge for her father's death. It felt really <laughs> flat to me. Um, so I learned very quickly that it was a lot more interesting if you wove a, a story that was a little more rich and not just based on these tropes that are si- sort of hackneyed at this point. What about you, Tyler? Uh, Dross is based off a, a single man, uh, Captain Samuel Bellamy, who was a pirate mm. um, responsible for taking uh, the large, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, the largest prize in history. And uh, he was known for his... Um, 
the treatment of the of the ships he captured. He was a honorific man. Um, mm. He he was very dedicated to the democratic process of pirate ships, and he was um, he and and so that and he took he didn't just take any prizes. He kind of specifically uh, went after uh, like the large cargo you know type type of shipments i suppose and uh he's kind of he was often called like the robin hood of the sea so in in part did, it's also did, based off of robin hood did he convert to a neutral good religion <laughs> at some point <laughs> <laughs> no he i don't know if he was a religious man at all but he was a very honorific man and i i, yeah. I wanted to make a character who um did not see the law as uh something that inherently had to be followed but was was more bound by his own sense of justice and mm-hmm. Uh, also had um you know uh, when i heard that there were space pirates i couldn't avoid that so <laughs> yeah, well, i wanted to i wanted to jump fully into to that as well but i i only i wanted space pirates to be a part of his background i didn't want it to be his identifier either so yeah right right well this kind of segues well into our next question which was provided to us by tim this is for the players was there a different character you had in mind before choosing what you currently play as um mm. for me no uh i started working on Adros, and I, I i wanted i knew i wanted to play the vesk right away and i pretty much had a pretty core concept when we immediately decided to do this podcast so i really never had anything like that well, we should mention before we get into this that you guys were making your characters and writing up your concepts before the rule book came out <laughs> So, yeah. like, I mean, you're basing it on like the the descriptions of the iconics and the the classes mm-hmm. that that we got that scant information before the the book was published. So, um, uh, one one thing I would like to point out here is at one point, two of you both were fighting over who was going to be the operative, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then nobody picked the operative. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> That was, was that me and Drew? Yeah, Mom. yeah, because because I was because I was thinking about making at the time he didn't have a name, but it was the same basic backstory, but operative mm-hmm. instead of envoy to be like a basically a master splinter kind of thing, but uh, but switch to the envoy once more information about the envoy became available. Right, right. So I, I thought that was hilarious because I was I was already prepping. I think in my mind uh, the, those plot points for an operative and. <laughs> Then we didn't have one. Then we didn't have one. <laughs> um, yeah, same, same with same with Rainey. He kind of, uh, as far as he was probably the, outside of being the you know an operative, like the, his his basic background was always the same. So I think he was this still the same character I had in mind when I was making him because, yet, like you said, the, the emptiness of the character was being done as we were not having the rules yet. So yeah, yeah. Well, did it, did anyone else have any other? Uh, races or classes they they wanted to play i mean i can say that i definitely knew lashunta and solarian from the get-go and i even asked patrick like is there any chance that i can play the solarian because i was so sure somebody else was going to choose it before i could yeah. <laughs> so i was very pleased oh, that Re- nobody else had rebecca don't haven't you heard solarians are underpowered they totally i know suck i know they're, so lame. they're terrible <laughs> uh Garbage tier class, not even <laughs> worth playing. <laughs> so we definitely won't have any yeah. in our future we, season. Yeah, we we, we would toss that class out. We'd probably be be done with the AP if we didn't have one in our party. Uh, no, <laughs> holding everybody back. <laughs> season two of Cosmic Creator. It's five Solari. <laughs> fighting oh. everything. It just it's like turn three. It's a a, a bloody mess. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh no. Oh, uh, all right. Well, <laughs> let's uh, let's jump into the next question. Jabert from the masked ferret. A. Which was your favorite NPC and why? And B. What was your favorite monster and why? Yeah. So if, if you guys have one or the other that you feel very strongly about, let's talk oh. about them. Oh, I definitely have an NPC. Mm-hmm. The goblins. I love them so much. <laughs> yeah, the goblins are very good. Yeah, they're pretty good. Ah, uh, yes. One of the, my favorite as well that also fall into that category of, you could have just killed them. <laughs> like, <laughs> it'd be a very different uh, adventure path. I, I tried. <laughs> yeah, on multiple occasions. Let's not forget that. Um, I'm trying to think of, of, of an NPC that I really, I mean, outside of the dog. Yeah. Um, the Akatas like were the, pretty great. Yeah, the, the Akatas, Akatas were pretty great. The Akatas are monsters. my favorite monster. They they were the first oh, cool. monster that was kind of because I guess they were our first super deadly monster, and that was that was something completely different than what we had ever fought before. And mm-hmm. uh, and, and they had a lasting threat. Yes, yeah, and they were they were they were scary. They were scary. Yeah, I think the well, Akatas are probably mine too. Part of the fear I think from them was like. Oh, they have these really negative health effects that, you know, could kill you after a couple of days and you're stuck on the ship. Like <laughs> there's no it doesn't tell you how to get off the ship. You have to explore the entire ship really to kind of figure out where and to if, go. And if we had a different party, they might not matter as much, but for our particular party, it definitely does. <laughs> No, I, I mean I think yeah, even if you had a, a mystic in your your ranks, it would still be still be pretty hard going and i've i've read a lot of people's playthroughs of this the acreon is nearly a tpk in a lot of situations which is good i want at least one part of each book to be like a nail biting white knuckle <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. a thrill ride and I think it's always funny ride. with us because we seem to have trouble parts that should take us no time and then breeze through parts that shouldn't <laughs> yeah right <laughs> I'll, I'll, because remember, remember remember on the on the drift rock there was this boss you created and we just like killed it in one round no problem it was some like robot oh yeah yeah no that wasn't a boss it was i would have thought a pretty difficult fight but the the ancient robot on the drift rock you guys i think took out in two turns it was it was nothing no yeah i i do actually have a favorite npc and that is uh winnie the trucks she is (laughs) pretty amazing yeah yeah, My kind uh, of woman. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of NPCs. And I yeah. told Amanda For- this that on Eox were amazing, and I wanted to just you know, I want to take twice as long on those episodes. Just, like, just, just like we just like get an apartment here on Eox, yeah. and just like the rest of the, the rest of the podcast <laughs> happens here. You you buy the bar, but it's on Eox, and like. Uh, uh, Jonesworth, Gentle Sage comes in, and you're like Jonesworth. <laughs> I, I, I was really thing. tempted to start like breathing on everything in that store <laughs> to piss oh, him off. No, please stop that. Gross. No, um, I want to hang out with Zoe like all the time. <laughs> oh, I, well, we'll bring him back if you want. Wait, watch it, the rock in the sun. There it is. <laughs> for uh, uh, I, I guess for me, it's pretty. At least for the NPC, it's pretty obvious. Recall we and mm. uh, with the monsters, I still like the Screelings and the Scree Sire. I still think they're cute. I wish Adros could have kept one. Yeah, they're pretty, pretty good. Too. Pretty cool fight. Pretty cool fight. I ah oh, man, uh, twist my arm. Favorite monster is pretty tough. I I mean, as far as a fun fight goes, 
I, I didn't have fun during the Akata fights because it was just like they move up and bite you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I really did like the the Scree Sire fight because I I knew that we would have like some different moving parts and like there would be. <laughs> a couple of oh gosh moments where you might get dipped in in acid so i I was waiting for those and building those up um yeah anybody else right let's go on to the next question which is from (laughs) speaking of them the chupra akata (laughs) one of our fans who took the mythical beast and and uh wed it with an akata the question is, did your characters develop the way you originally envisioned them? And what's the most surprising aspect of the characters now that you've kind of grown into the story and, and into some of your backstories and things like that? All right. So I mentioned before that Buffy was originally in my outline for the character, but I kind of scaled it back initially and went more Willow, you know, a little more nerdy and <laughs> at the beginning. unsure of herself at the beginning. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that was all intentional. I know. People don't necessarily realize that, but it was intentional. Um, And I mean, she's still kind of coming into her own, but I I feel like she's becoming more and more like Buffy, which wasn't necessarily intentional, um, but I think has naturally happened. Um, So I'm kind of surprised by how well that has gone, actually, um, because it was sort of the progression I wanted to make, but not necessarily something I have been thinking about all along the way. It's kind of happened organically. So I've been pleased with that. Right, right. Th- this question, I'd be very interested because we've gone through so much of your guys' backstory. Drew and Miles, are there any aspects of your characters now that you've kind of grown into them a, a little bit over the course of these three three books? And we- we've figured out a little bit of what makes each of them tick. Yeah, so uh, you might remember from an early episode where Knack was trying to uh, sleight of hand to to pickpocket people in the the club. That was going to be a huge thing, is that he was going to be constantly trying to retest his skills because he was trying to retrain himself and stuff that he had lost, and that just... It just didn't come up. The story moved too fast, and 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 that sort of thing happened. And also, he was everywhere he everywhere the the party was going to go. I had these these uh, like references to it built in, as if Nack had been there before, and they were all based on movies. <laughs> And just but like changed enough to where you know listeners would know this he's just quote he's just quoting you know uh empire strikes back or uh <laughs> a christmas story or whatever and uh i i don't even think i got i think i mentioned what that that in like the intro to the character and it just never happened in the show <laughs> yeah no the idea was uh knack maybe had a a cousin on like every planet that you yeah, exactly. went to. And you can, that, that was a, the long running joke is that he has like a massive family. Exactly. Oh, uh, in, in all, <laughs> all aspects. Uh, Miles, what about you? So uh, the, the, I think the plan for Remy ended up being a lot different than how he ended up being executed. Uh, originally I, I had, I had envisioned him as being kind of all of his, kind of as people call him grumpy uh all of that angst was supposed to be more buried deep in him and he was supposed to be a little bit more devil may care a little more quippy and a little more kind of just like uh mouthy and i think i think it's during the first episode um i i rolled a certain way and 
I, I kind of it kind of just changed the perspective of the moment for me. Mm-hmm. And from from then on, like it was like, no, he doesn't want to be there. And he's kind of doing this against his will. So he's just leaning against the back of the bar. Like he's kind of he's not wanting to be. Right. And so I kind of I kind of, you know, kept going that avenue. But I, it was a lot different than what I, I had originally anticipated and even wanted to, to play him as. Um, but it was really kind of a. Uh, the way it rolled and the way the scene went out um, where it was started off as like, Oh, he's just going to be kind of reluctant and maybe the reluctant captain to, he doesn't want to be here at all. <laughs> and um, so that, that did come out a lot differently uh, for, for Raimi. And it has been kind of fun to finally get to, to tell his, his story as to why he is the way he is and, and what happened to him before, um, you know, going to Absalom station and kind of seeing the reasons that he's, you know, kind of been so reserved. Um, I kind of anticipated that to come out a little bit slower, uh, or I'm sorry, a little a little more quickly throughout the story. But um, yeah, he was definitely a little, lot more of a friendly character when I first envisioned him. Huh. Well, that, that's so interesting. You bring up uh, a, a pretty valid RP point is you could make a character and write a backstory where you are the best warrior in the entire land, like you're, you're Conan or, or whatever, and you... you uh, you win every single fight and then get to the table and you roll nothing but natural ones, you know, <laughs> over and over. And then you have to <laughs> rewrite your backstory to, to align with the, you know, the, the fickleness of fate. Yeah. Which, which I've actually enjoyed doing like a lot of the stuff that I've done, like, uh, has been what I thought my character would do mm-hmm. and not necessarily what miles would do. Yeah, no, I, I think we joked about that. The game is you're actually probably, the nicest person here on the <laughs> podcast like and you just like enjoy everything <laughs> we joke about how you, how you love everything and th- it's interesting that you went a little a little darker a little different for for Raimi. yeah it's it's been fun though uh anybody else uh you, did your characters develop over the course of these 37 episodes different i'm i'm interested to hear Adros did, did everything exactly how I thought it was going to happen. Did you foresee the Serenry stuff? Because oh yeah, I, I mean I thought like that was episode I, before. Yeah, no, that was that was obviously be going to happen, Patrick. I think everybody saw through that. Um, no, obviously, yeah. The biggest thing that happened with Adros was the Serenry awakening, mm-hmm. and I had no idea it was coming. No, um, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we that just that just kind of. I mean, I wanted Edros to be a, a caring person, and I, you know, when Rokawi died, I I wanted him to feel that responsibility, and everything just kind of happened naturally from that point. And I thought it all, you know, nothing that happened didn't. You know, I think it all made sense to the character. I mean, he's a he's an emotional, caring guy um, for for people he's close with or friends with, um, or people that he feels deserves to have life you know be better for them and so it all just made it was all just perfect but i just never went i just never would have thought after that episode that i would have to be reading about the church of serendray and trying to figure out (laughs) how this character would even react to um you know being a part of this new faith luckily he has an intelligence score of eight and uh (laughs) i got to kind of just feel your way through feel my way through it yeah uh thankfully and uh it's just been very interesting but i never would have thought right right um well can we can we get into this next question because there's some stuff i want to say about it and and about your character um in regards to to these characters and their their backstories 
Yeah, so this question comes from Phoenix Havoc, and it's a question for Patrick in particular. No wonder that's, he wanted us to focus that's on me. this question. <laughs> I, I, was, I was getting tired of not talking. <laughs> How difficult was working character backstory for this AP? Were there any major plot points that you changed for that purpose? Right, so as... I mean, this is kind of a, a big question and one of the ones we get asked a lot. I think we, we got this asked in a few different ways for this crit bit. And it's it's one that we talk a lot, like me and you guys individually and you guys as a, a group, you know, afterwards. Um, I obviously kind of add in a good deal of stuff about your your character's backstories into the, the AP, whether it's added in some fights or just changing how your characters might be connected to the characters in the adventure path um it, it was pretty hard <laughs> mainly because you guys wrote your backstories before the ap came out <laughs> before the adventure path was in my hand <laughs> and then it was one of those things where i just had to adapt as i got each new ap and kind of write some new ideas in into your backstories to go back <laughs> to you tyler with a dross I had a completely different backstory idea <laughs> and arc for your character that got thrown out in book two after uh, <laughs> after you know we, we uh, pledged you to the the Church of Serenray um, for for various reasons. You know, one of the things I, I was just going to write more about was like your pirate background and becoming like one of the best pirates and, and things like that. Because before we started, I had a brief description that there were pirates in, in this last book, uh, Splintered Worlds. I was like, oh, maybe there'll be like some chances for him to interact with a whole bunch of pirates or, you know, go to Broken Rock or <laughs> yeah. so that, that had to change a lot. <laughs> Do you guys have any questions uh, before we wrap up just about the the adventure path and you know what 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 i've written versus what was in the book because that that comes up a good deal and it seems like for the most part you get can guess which is which but sometimes you you are fooled i just want to highlight some of the lucky things that happened that were kind of uh Oh, the serendipitous, the serendipitous uh, backstory, backstory stuff. Like Andis one four seven meets Clara two four seven. No idea yeah. that that character existed when when yeah, Jamar yeah was I, his I'm character. not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. I did not know that androids had numbers after their name <laughs> when I made my character's name. Like <laughs> this is not a thing that was known. They don't. They don't have to, but. Just about everyone in the book does, right? But so. they often do. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, no. When I when I got that and started prepping, I was like, should I change the number after her name? <laughs> <laughs> because it's oh, like man. so very different, right? It's one number off. But there's an even bigger one that that popped up. Uh, Rebecca, you take away on this one. I'm guessing you're talking about the constellation tattoo, right? Yes. So. Yeah, so yeah, I planned yeah. very early on. I mean, this was like July of last year before the game came out. Um, I planned for Alindra to have a constellation tattoo that she had named the gateway of all things. Yeah. And like, then <laughs> what the flip? I know, right? And then uh we're going through like the Temple of the Twelve and find mosaics of elves like putting Tattooing constellation themselves tattoos. With constellations. I didn't make that up. That yeah. was in the adventure path, and that's and why when we got... And there were gateways. Like, it was, yeah. it was we, insane. We immediately stopped the podcast. We were like, hacks, <laughs> hacks, yeah. cheater hacks. <laughs> so that, that was episode, what, 24? And I had to wait 24 episodes 
after we started the podcast to be like, I can't believe how crazy this went down. <laughs> um, we'll, 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 I'll be able to talk more about this stuff when we do this episode again at the end of the Adventure Path, which I'm very excited about because I can spill the beans, as it were, about all these story beats. But there, there were a few instances of you guys doing that and me just being like, what are the what are the chances? You know. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, I just wanted to point that out because that constellation thing still gets me to this day. That that was <laughs> that <laughs> makes was me feel there. like a genius. So it, you should because <laughs> it also makes Patrick. It makes Patrick sound like oh man, he wove this character backstory in so well. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was kind of curious, Patrick, what. Like with the with the fight with the mercenaries on Castrovel, like yeah. if, if you could have, if you would have kidnapped Raimi and what you would have done with him at that point. Oh, right. So, I mean, obviously there would be some kind of <laughs> chase, some kind of space battle. I, I, you know, thought it might be interesting if like to get him back you all had to meet up with Rusty Rivet, which was like the next thing that happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we would just have like a whole side episode. I, I knew that I wanted to give each of you guys at least one episode for like your backstories each. So that, that that's what I've tried to do as we've, as we've moved on, try to give you all just like a little bit of, of stage time. And obviously, you know, some of that might be broken up over multiple episodes. So, you know, that was the, kind of the introduction of you know oh yeah he's a quindar he's actually a very sought after and and wealthy individual and yeah that was me introducing his backstory and you know i was hoping we could continue it on in, in book three and we got through a, a good amount of it <laughs> that was cool with, with episode 37 so uh yeah any any other other questions i i did add in at, you know one or two characters for from like each of your backstories at some point during these uh these three books oh speaking um, of Raimi's backstory it's a little bit on my mind because it mm-hmm. just happened but uh the forgotten is that a patrick invention or is that in the ap i'm guessing oh. it's patrick invention yeah 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 that was liana inside this this coffin and that was that was technically a miles invention so, so, so that, that, character. that is a question that I have. So even back on the Acreon, when we have to find the special package, was that always Liana or is there a package on the Acreon? Oh, no. So that was in the AP. That was uh, Hebzia Escalar, who was yeah. a Corpse Fleet member that Ambassador Nor wanted <laughs> to like get to Absalom Station. Never really explained why in the 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 brief wrap up and and last episode i just invented a reason because i wanted to have some closure (laughs) to that story loop Mm -hmm. that honestly every time after book one that i got (laughs) one of the adventure path books i opened it up and did a control f to find like you know escalar or (laughs) corpse fleet to try and see (laughs) if they they wrapped up the the story because i was like oh why 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 did he want her so my explanation for it, and I think if you're listening as a GM and you're running this for your players, just make something up. You know, maybe he, maybe Ambassador Nor is a part of the Corpse Fleet, or maybe he has, like, spies in the Corpse Fleet. Or um, my explanation was it's just someone he was related to and wanted to get out of the Corpse Fleet, wanted so, to turn things around. Not that I've read any APs before, so excuse the uh idiotic <laughs> question probably but is that just a red herring like does that happen a lot in ap's where you have just like 
paths that leave, lead nowhere like that? Not necessarily, but that's definitely like a, a side quest thing, you know, with this NPC that, I mean, yes, Ambassador Nor came back in, in book three, but it, it's not the, the main story, you know? So that that's a plot thread that because the books are written by different authors, they might say, oh, hey, you can take this character and write them and do something with them, but maybe that's not in the the book three author's mind or book four, five, or six author's mind. So, I think sometimes they're just things like that for players to have to decide what they want to do and then have consequences for it. Because some players might say, we don't trust Givalarsk and open it up. And now they have to deal with it. Yeah, I, um, I honestly debated opening it up or insisting that we open it up on the yeah, the yeah. Creon. Yeah. So that opens up a whole different can of worms. Like if you are belligerent to Hebzia Escalar, she attacks you and you have to fight a CR3 bone trooper. The, these monsters that you just destroyed in the last episode. Uh, you have to fight her at level you know one or two, which could be kind of difficult. Mm. Uh or, or you could just, you know, talk to her and, 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 you know, she's like, I need to get back to Absalom Station. And it's kind of like a, a murky gray area, you know, like, why why is there a corpse fleet member in this box? So it's just one of those things that adds some flavor. And if you had opened it up, you would have introduced the idea of the corpse fleet as being kind of in this AP a little earlier. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So, hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've listened in on... Uh, some of our our friend podcasts, Rogue Exposure, for example, who've done uh, done things a little bit differently. So it's it's always it's always fun to hear the different paths that uh, the AP can take you down. Uh, like for example, in book three, the investigation into the the corpse fleet on Eox. There's like a ton of different ways you could do that. One of them is like you just hear a rumor about the Maribel, and you go straight to the Hermitage and skip everything. So. <laughs> Like lots, without lots seeing Juanita trucks first, like you can just go straight there. Uh, you probably would still want to meet her, <laughs> but oh, okay. uh, w- one of the things I, I gave Knack to do was after getting the two reports to the Ministry of Eternal Vigilance, I allowed him to do a sense motive on the reports um, to tell that they were just clearly some kind of red herring or ruse, which they were. <laughs> But he, he unfortunately did not make that sense motive. Yeah, check. thanks for reminding me. Yeah, yeah. Even even with the expertise. <laughs> right, right. Any other any other questions about that? Do you, you guys before we wrap up the the crit bit tonight? Do you have any ideas of of what lays ahead for for Cosmic Crit and for the Adventure Path Dead Sons in books four, five, and six? I have an idea. I think mm-hmm. we play more Starfinder. Okay, well, <laughs> ding ding, <laughs> we've got a we've got a winner. Yeah. Well, what do you, Best what do you answer. To, what do you expect to see in, in in those books, and and what do you expect to happen on on the show? So the 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 core rule book spends a lot of time talking about the the sun that Absalom Station orbits, and specifically the like structures and and all of that around the sun yet we haven't really explored any of that yet i'm Mm -hmm. wondering if uh the the sort of ultimate goal the 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 device that destroys everything uh is is going to be around that or if we will spend any time exploring that aspect of it awesome awesome that's a pretty cool suggestion anybody else anybody got any crazy conspiracy theories about 
where where we're going. Is it possible that the sun is part of the 12, like of the 12 suns that make up the weapon? I like how you're asking a question like I'm going to give you an answer. Right <laughs> no, <now. laughs> I'm not. I'm positing to my, to my fellow players. Yeah. A theory. Yeah. yeah. I have sort of a theory that the ancestors of all of the cast members were somehow, somehow involved in the um, excavation of the super weapon, the solar degenerator. The stellar degenerator. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's what it translates to. The yes. MacGuffin. Yeah. The, 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 the MacGuffin. Stellar MacGuffin. <laughs> the one. Well, we the, did find the, no, no, no qual Falcon. We did. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. did find that picture like episodes ago that had a bunch of people that seemed to be related to our characters. Right. 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 Yeah. So I think we might have to revisit that I, soon. Yeah. I think that it will open what well, I, I, what 7-eleven yeah <laughs> no, open no, up. no it's the, 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 i hope I, so I think, I think the gate will open i think that the i'm hoping um that the the evil the evil things manage to get the gate open and that we actually have to enter into the the realm that the stellar degenerator the super weapon sits in um, that's kind of what I hope. I'm, that's what I'm hoping the gateway is, is that, uh, you know, because for the, for, for the cult, if, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe for the cult, this is a, this is basically a, a, a gateway to exercise. What's that? What's that evil God's name? Um, I mean, they, they worship the devourer, the devourer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a means for the devourer to, you know, end all existence. And I'm hoping that we get to actually go into some place that is outside of this plane and do something there. I'm well, it would certainly be a lot easier. It would certainly be a lot easier if they would go ahead and open up that, that gate for us. Cause <laughs> yeah. it's like a, probably like a whole half of a book just opening yeah. up that gate. So if they just go ahead and do it, you know, do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just wanna, hoping to they... skip ahead in the AP and <laughs> be like two levels under. under. <laughs> I just, no. I'm feeling lucky, Patrick. I'm feeling lucky. <laughs> I'm just hoping they don't put the controls to the stellar devourer in our hands because I feel like that uh, is an amount of power that um, would uh, maybe negatively impact the decision making of certain members of our team. Mm-hmm. Who are you talking about? Uh, well, we have a pirate. Uh, <laughs> Whoa, that that sounds he seems very little, judgmental. He seems a little evil. We have a Salarian yeah. <laughs> who was so against murder that she murdered a bunch of teenagers in like the first episode of the show. I'm just saying. <laughs> You All right. Well, know. the first thing I'm aiming at with the super weapon is Feldspar Corporation. No! <laughs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> I I wish I can confirm or deny some of your your theories. I don't even have book six yet. It comes out in, uh, <laughs> in another month, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to wait along with you all. But we won't have to wait for long because, like I said, we're starting up book four soon, and I can't wait to get to it. And before you know, we'll be on to five and six. But yeah. before then, let's go ahead and let's wrap this up and uh, let people get back to to their work. If you're listening to this on Monday morning when we release or whenever you're listening, get back to it and uh, jump on into book four next week. Woohoo! Thank you guys for, for chatting with me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy we got to talk about your characters a good deal, about what's happened so far. This and is it's, nice it's, to do. 
it's fun just to talk about the game. Uh, we, we, we do text a good deal about it. We, we talk maybe individually, but this is one of the first times we, we all got to sit down and, and rap about it. Yeah. 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 All, all six of us. Alrighty, so that's going to do it. Um, thank you, everybody, and let's uh, let's wrap this up and say good night, Critter Manders. Good night, Critter Manders.